Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. I read a fascinating statistic. It had to do with uh, sales. Fascinated me anyway. Uh, Salesmen, especially for major purchases, we could talk about cars or houses or appliances or some kind of major purchase. 60% of customers say no the first four times. It takes often the fifth time, or I'm sorry, they say no the first three times. The fourth time is when they begin to say yes. But 48% of salesmen never follow up with a second contact or uh, attempt to bring in the sale. In business, follow-up is a well-known, understood concept. If you're going to get business, it's many times takes two, three, four. I have uh, two businessmen that I'm very impressed with in their follow-up. One of them is a personal side of it, but one of them is a uh, is our sign guy. He is very, very good at follow-up and very good at getting a hold of us. Uh, and Jeff, uh, uh, if, if for some reason you're watching, I am impressed with your uh, emails and such, that he's in contact, uh, talking, uh, wa- looking for opportunities uh, and such uh, in uh, that business. If that's true in business, how much more is follow-up important in the kingdom of God. Praying with someone is just the beginning. And we need to pray with people and we need to challenge people to pray, but there has to be something beyond that. It's not just, well, good luck, hope to see you in heaven. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, 29, it says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everywhere with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. Let's talk firstly about follow-up. When someone prays, when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ, uh, there's a joy in that. First, uh, in Third John chapter 1, verse 4, John writes, he said, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Now, whether he's talking there about his actual physical Children, there is absolutely no uh, greater joy. I have one daughter. She's going to be here. She's saved. Loves God. Great joy. I have a backslidden son. It's just, it's frustrating sometimes. John is talking about the joy of seeing someone he was personally involved in come to maturity. Follow up is a work of trying to ground people in the purposes 
and the Word of God. This can get lost. The word in verse 28 where he says, uh, teaching everyone, wanting to present them perfect in their relationship. The word literally means complete or full grown. It has to do with the thought of maturity. And it has to do with the understanding of them coming to the place that they can bear their own responsibility. Working people through in that When a baby is born, and we've had a few of them around here, right? They, watching them, they are not able to take care of themselves. The human uh, existence, very fascinating. If you see like a baby giraffe born, they're walking like immediately. Like they come out walking. I guess because they have, their giraffes are so tall, they have a long way to fall. And so I guess they have no choice but to walk. I don't know. But human beings take years and years and years to teach. And legally, we've said 18 years is kind of the max that we have right now. And and some of them, they're still not ready at 18 years. But any parent knows it takes personal responsibility. It takes personal interaction. You can't just leave your kids. If you just leave your kids to decide on their own whether they're going to brush their teeth or not, guess what? Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22, after preaching the good news in Deborah and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and then Antioch of Persida where they strengthened the believers, encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The word there to encourage is the word in the King James to confirm. It literally means to establish or further support. It would be what... Builders would call a sister joist. When a joist, a floor joist that would support a structure would begin to become weak or rotted or maybe some DIY guy drilled a hole to put a wire through that compromised the strength and the integrity of that joist, they would sister or put another joist next to it to strengthen that. That's the picture there in that word that to a strengthen or firm up the support. As a parent takes time with a child, spiritual babies, it's, they're referred to being born again. Peter refers to those that are new converts as babes in Christ. Spiritually speaking, Several areas of failure in follow-up is people simply don't. That's just number one. They just don't. They don't think about it. They don't consider that someone needs some encouragement. Sometimes there's just simply an unwillingness because of the time required. But the, impor- the importance of personal follow-up cannot be dismissed. 
New converts are vulnerable. There are lots of strategies that Satan would have against new believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. It is amazing when someone becomes a Christian, how like the demonic attention goes out. I've shared with you before, when I became a Christian, I had never had a Jehovah Witness knock on my door. Never. I didn't know anything about Jehovah Witnesses. And as soon as I got saved, want to buy a watchtower? I had no idea. They said they were Christians too. I was just, I was just so excited and naive that I bought a watchtower. Never did again. Started reading it and go, this is a little weird. But I didn't know. Kristen Brown. This girl I had a major crush on, but she had a boyfriend. And I see her two weeks after I get saved. And the very first thing she says to me is, I broke up with my boyfriend. And before too long, I had her telephone number. I got rid of it. But thank God, people followed up. And so some people, they're ju- they don't understand the vulnerability There's going to be pulls of relationships and family. There's going to be pulls of jobs, old sins, lifestyles. Telling your boyfriends and girlfriends, ex-boyfriends and girlfriends, come out of the woodwork. I actually know a young woman, she's a very beautiful woman who got saved in one of our churches. uh, And a man offered her a sports car just to go out on a date with her. I will give you my Corvette if you go out on a date with me. When I was also a new convert, a young man, a, young man, a man came in from California. He had his sports car, he had his all that, and he one day asked me if I'd go to lunch with him. And I went out to lunch with him, and he began to say, you know what, I have a vision here for Cape Cod to build a... Christian radio station. That was something that was in my desire when I was a young man. That's why I took electronics in high school. I wanted to pursue radio. I kept being told I have a face for radio. I don't know why, but I just thought that might be up way their point. You know, I don't know. There are all sorts of schemes that the devil will try to bring to take new believers out of the faith. The other misunderstanding or responsibility that you just can't advocate is that you need to help people change. And they do that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, by your lifestyle. One of the things that will scare some of you new parents, that will absolutely terrify you, that's going to happen, is your children are going to act like you act. And that's frightening. 
It's absolutely frightening sometimes. They're going to take on your opinions. They're going to take on your, uh, some of your things that you do, mannerisms, words. Christine Connors one time accused me of trying to ruin her son, Mitch. She goes, since he's been around you, he uses the word bucks all the time instead of dollars. Yeah, that's five bucks. That's ten bucks. That's, uh, the problem is it wasn't me. It was Christine who, who uses the word bucks all the time. But Christine liked to blame me for everything. So there she did. Children also have an openness. A new convert has an openness. They don't know. When I got saved, I didn't know, in a, uh, you know uh, the, uh, any of the Bible. I knew a few stories, and that was it. There, we, you know, we didn't have all the versions of the English Bible that we have today, and I didn't know what words like mortification or even fornication meant. I didn't know what they meant. They weren't in my vocabulary. Acts chapters 9, 26 and 27, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoke to Saul. And he also told him that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. How different would the New Testament be if Barnabas didn't reach out to Saul? How different would life be? See, the new convert is where you learn certain habits of Christianity, for good or for bad. That's also how you raise up disciples. Discipleship doesn't begin if you want to be a pastor when you're sent out, or it doesn't even require a pastor to be a disciple. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples, not just winning converts, is Christ's demand or command. And anyone can make a disciple. Begin to teach, open the Word of God, show people what the Bible says. Discipleship is the developing of someone in spiritual maturity so that they themselves can reproduce and become all that God had purposed for them. That's discipleship. Second Timothy two two and the things that you've heard of me, uh, the the things that you've heard me teach and have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on. To others. Let's talk about personal factors in evangel in uh, follow up. 
Follow-up's not a program. We could make programs. I've seen churches try to make programs for follow-up. There's programs that come and go, and there's, you know, seasons and of that that work. But really what it is, it's personal contact. This is why follow-up begins with you and with me, not with the new convert. Because you are going to impart yourself. Second Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. You've got to believe something in you before you can pass it on. I have tried to preach other people's sermons that I didn't understand, know, or were beyond me. And it was empty word. I, was as con- I left the pulpit confused. I can't imagine how people who heard me left. I haven't done it in years. Many, many years. But I, because I learned, I was like, you know, this is dumb. I don't even know what I'm talking about. How am I going to communicate it to people? And then there's always someone who says, that was a great sermon. I can't believe it. And I'm like thinking, I want to go sell insurance. I, you know, but you got to have truth that's real to you before you impart it. And let me also add this when there's carnality, you will impart that as well. When you give compromise, when you say, oh, we don't have to pray all the time. That's only for them, whoever them are. You will impart your spirit. That's why Paul says, examine yourself first. Your relationship with God is critical. Methods at the expense of relationship just are cold. They don't produce anything. There's no substitute for a dynamic relationship with God. Second thing in follow-up is there needs to be an openness, a willingness to see the needs of others. Many are involved in their own lives, and I understand we're, we've got vis- we're busy, we've got lives, we've got issues. But as a result, it's just done in a detached way. Ten minutes before service, a telephone call. Hey, you coming? Oh, well, okay. Second Timothy 3, 10, and 11, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live. And what my purpose in life is, you know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much I've, uh, how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. You got to open your heart up to follow up. First, Second Corinthians seven, Paul says, "We've opened our hearts to you." It can't be just a program. That's why we have to overcome. You have to see people as God sees them. 
hurting and needful. This can be very difficult for people who grew up in church. Because that's just the way it was. You were dedicated as a baby and, you know, maybe you had your little fling of the world, but you came back and you knew what to do. You've heard of prayer and tithing and witnessing since you were, since before you can remember. But when a sinner gets saved, I didn't know what a tither was. I had no idea. I didn't know, you know, prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name? You know, that's what I knew for prayer. Remember, I was preaching for one pastor, and he had had a new convert who had come to the service, and he had come to the, and he, he was standing, we were praying in the nursery, and he was standing at the door, and uh, we were just praying, we are just praying as we would before service. He grabbed the pastor, he said, I want that. It has to begin in you. We have to make it a personal conviction that people really matter. This means commitments sometimes through the long haul, through people's problems. Sometimes it means inconvenience, expense. Romans 8, Romans 1 rather, 8 through 12 says, let me say this first. I thank God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One thing, uh, one of these things I always pray about is the opportunity, God willing, to come and see you at last. For I long to visit you so I can bring some spiritual gift and will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we are, get together, I want to encourage you in the faith, and I want to be, an, uh, and I also want to be encouraged by yours. The Apostle Paul, he says, you know what, there's something mutual going on. In faith, there's something about his heart. He's saying, I want to be there, I want to see, I like, and opportunity was not there for him. But it's got to be there for us. So in, in follow-up, I think first we need a revelation of God. To see things the way God sees things. Isaiah's caught up to the throne room. He has ministry. He's been written already five chapters. He's, he's, he knows the Lord. But he hears the voice. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, Here am I. Send me. It was a revelation of God. I heard a song many years ago on Christian radio. 
And it was, I, I, the, the name of the man who sings it escapes me. Some, someone in here will remember it. But he said, give me eyes. Or let my eyes be open. Let my eyes see the way that you see. He said, why have I never seen? He said, I, I, I'm walking down the street. He says, there's a man in a suit. Too ashamed to tell his, jo- his wife he lost his job. Uh, another woman struggling. All of these factors. Why have I never seen this? So the first thing you have to do before God, what Isaiah did, is make yourself available. Lord, here am I. Here am I. One factor that the devil will use more than anything else is inactivity. If we think someone else will do it, we'll lose out. I know we can have our excuses. Moses protested and said, Who am I to speak? I can't go before Pharaoh. But a lack of talent or ability is not an excuse because it's not a problem with God. God is looking for people who will respond. Again, you need consistency. You're going to teach them how to pray, how to give, how to witness, how to worship. It's all going to come out of not what you say or what others say. It's going to be out of who you are. Philippians 3.17 Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Tell me, if someone acted like you act, prayed like you prayed, witnessed like you witnessed, gave like you gave, worshipped like you worship, would they be a good Christian? Would they be who you want, who God would want them to be? See, our place in God is more important than we think. That's why follow-up challenges our personal growth in Christ. See, it's easy to not contend for maturity if you're not following up. Luke 6, 39 and 40. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but a student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. If you're not growing, we could ask the question, are you spiritually blind or have blind spots? But Jesus says, then the greater responsibility is to impart that to a student. To bring them to the spiritual place that God desires. First Corinthians, Paul writes and he says, you have 10,000 instructors, but you only have a few spiritual fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus when I preach the good news to you. So I urge you, imitate me. That's why I've sent 
Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, he will remind you of how uh, of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all churches wherever I go. He says, you know what? You're teaching. Your attendance in prayer teaches. Your spiritual worship teaches. First Corinthians eleven one, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. There comes a time when people have to make their own decisions and begin to walk on maturity. You can't drag them along. I call them PNCs, perpetual new converts. They want to live as Peter Pan did in Never Never Land, where I never have to grow up. That's endless. That eventually you just have to say, you know what? I can't help you anymore. But eventually the issue is maturity. If you personally won one person to Christ every day, 365 days out of the year, you could do that. And just that's what you did. One, you prayed with one person a day. At the end of one year, you would have 365 converts. But if you won one convert, just worked with them for a year, made them the believer and discipled them. At the end of the year, you'd only have one convert. But if at the end of that year, you want another convert and they want a convert, at the end of two years, you'd have four people. As opposed to having 730 converts if you're just winning one a day every two years but the principle of multiplication begins to kick in that at the end of 30 years if you won one convert a day you'd be somewhere over 10,000 converts but if you were to disciple one a year and then they disciple one a year and you're continuing to do that and all at the end of 30 years you'd have seven, over seven billion converts. That principle is called discipleship. That's why follow-up is so important. If God is willing to lead someone to you, to our church, to be saved, It is then our responsibility that God has given us to take care of them. And it is a corporate responsibility. Some people say, well, that's your job as the pastor. If that's my job as the pastor, we're going to be very limited. That is the responsibility of the congregation. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. God is good. And I'm not preaching this to condemn. I'm actually preaching this 
preemptively because of I believe what God's about to do. But it takes a willingness to follow up, invest, work people through, not just give up. And if you're willing to do that, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to be heartbreaking sometimes. I followed up on people that at the end of two years have gone, yeah, you know what, I'm going back to the Catholic Church. And you're like, what? But I can tell you that it's also where the greatest reward is. To have converts to... Uh, You know, one man I remember walking up and down the street with as he just rambled on about all sorts of craziness coming out of his drug-induced stupor that would eventually go on, get married, get a good job, a beautiful wife, and go on in life. God wants to help people, and he's chosen us as believers to be that catalyst. You're here tonight, this evening, you're not right with God, very quickly. You need prayer. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to see you make it for God. Anyone at all, very quickly, slip up your hand. Say, pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I'm not, I'm backslidden. I'm away from God. Changing the call then to Christians. Follow-up begins with you and your spirit. Your words, your worship, your witnesses, your prayers, your, your whole spiritual life. You're going to impart. Just like children pick up the habits, good or bad, from their parents. So will new converts of your spiritual life. That's why follow-up begins with you, begins with me, not with the believer, not with the new, especially the sinner that knows nothing about Christianity. And so you allow God to use your life and see what he will do. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to talk to God, find a place to pray. Worship his name. We're going to sing a song. Create in me.
not away. Him tonight. Father, we love you. God, we exalt you. Oh, God. 